The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is John Michael Greer. John has been a student of the occult traditions for over 30 years, and he's the current Grand Arch Druid of the Ancient Order of Druids in America. Really, that that is a thing. (laughs) And he's also a longtime Golden Dawn initiate, and a scholar of the Western mystery traditions. He's also the author of two of the most influential books in my spiritual life, and probably in my life in general, uh, The Long Descent, and also Mystery Teachings of the Living Earth. This episode is part one of two parts of a conversation that we shared recently. And in this show, we're going to focus on his book, Mystery Teachings of the Living Earth. I caught up with John over the phone, He was at home in Maryland. John, I'm very interested in your second law in Mystery Teachings from the Living Earth, and that's the law of flow. Now, I will actually read it uh, just to give the listeners some context. So, everything that exists, you write, is created and sustained by flows of matter, energy, and information that come from the whole system to which it belongs and that return to that whole system. Participating in these flows without interfering with them brings health and wholeness. Blocking them in an attempt to turn flows into accumulations causes suffering and disruption to the whole system and all its parts. Now, that's a beautiful, and let's say it's one of those um, very reasonable sounding principles and then you actually apply it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> My feeling is that, particularly in the New Age space, that end of the spirituality spectrum, the word flow is frequently just materialism dressed up as spirituality. You know, you're in flow with abundance and, and that sort of thing. So let me put it to you this way. How could a millionaire participate in flow without accumulating like well, can they really simple. be spiritual it, yeah it, it's it's very simple you accumulate in you you don't accumulate you participate in flow which means flow in and flow out okay people you're you're very right that that one of the consistent problems with the new age movement has been its tendency to surrender its basic spiritual insights in the service of um, our culture's habit of greed and where it's all gimme, gimme, gimme. I want flow into me, but I'm not going to let anything go. So, you know, we, we get accumulation. That's very much the ethos of our society and it's completely self-destructive. We know, for example, hands down economics, shows us that an economy thrives when money keeps changing hands. Okay? No, I mean, just ask an economist, they'll explain that to you. If people just sit on their piles of money, it doesn't matter how, money's in, how much money is in the economy, you're going to have a recession, you're going to have economic hard times because the money isn't flowing. So as long as people concentrate on taking in and not giving out, 
they're, they're basically creating problems for themselves and the whole system. There's a, there, there are levels and levels and levels to the, the mindset of materialism. All of them are based on fear. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got to cling to this as tightly as possible so I have it, so nobody can take it away from me, so da-da-da-da-da-da. There's always fear involved. And one of the things I've noticed from the materialistic end of the New Age spectrum is an unwillingness to actually deal with that as fear, as an emotional state, as something in yourself rather than something you're projecting out onto the world as a whole. Mm. And that's, you know, that, that's, one of those, that's one of those things that takes some meditation and takes um, perhaps some counseling. But to do that, you've got to fly in the face of some of the, some of the standard neuroses of our age. So when people say something like, uh, well, you just don't think you deserve abundance, so you actually are coming from a place of lack. And so embracing mass amounts of wealth is, you know, the, the natural uh, rhythm of things because this is an abundant universe. I mean, what, how do you respond to that? Okay, first of all, you need to stop and say abundant in what sense? Because you can say, well, it's an abundant universe for certain values of abundance, yes. For certain values, no. Mm-hmm. Um, Lao Tse in the Tao Te Ching, I, I always end up going back to, Taoist, to, to the old Taoist philosophers for a reality check. Um, above and below, abundant and scarce, all of these are defined by each other. You can't have one without the other. Okay? Mm-hmm. There's always the yin to the yang. Um, this is one of the things we'll get into the fourth law and a bit the law of limits, which deals with that. There are nothing is unlimited. There is no such thing as limitless abundance. Pretending that there is makes us feel good, perhaps for a while, and it feeds the sense of entitlement, which is one of the um, one of the more common bad habits of, of contemporary life. But it doesn't actually reflect circumstances the circumstances in which we live. Okay? There's a great, I mean, in some sense, there's a vast amount of abundance out there, but we have to recognize what it actually amounts to. It doesn't amount to an endless supply of consumer goodies. Okay. Now, and one of the things there, again, this is used to stop, to, to, to back away from self-knowledge. If you actually pay attention to yourself, to your emotions, to what's going on inside you, you'll find that very often... The chasing after those goodies is a function of a conscious is a function of lack. You're saying I'm not complete unless I have you know this car. I'm not complete unless I have this you know electronic gizmo. I'm not complete unless I have millions of dollars in the bank. No, you're complete. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned with that. Give up that lack consciousness. You won't want the consumer the consumer goodies. You don't need them. What about the people who say, if I had millions, I could help more people. And so if I'm more abundant, then I can have greater impact. I mean, I, I, I still feel, I have problems with even that. <laughs> so I'm oh, curious well, what you think about yeah, that. Yeah, the thing is, that. they're doing it the wrong way around. Um, the universe will provide flow if you produce flow. Let them start giving. Let them start contributing, getting out there in the community, helping people. And very, very often the flow will start. You start, you, you get out there, start volunteering, start giving what you have. People find out about it. Donations start coming in. Other people join you. That's how it happens. If you're saying, well, you know, universe, give me all these vast amounts of money and then sooner or later I'll get around to giving it away. Um, no. Right. The universe yeah, yeah. is not dumb. The universe knows that line. 
<laughs> you have a great quote actually about accumulation is increase without flow and when it appears in a natural system it shows that the flows in that system have begun to break down so i i i wonder if that too is a good response to those people who feel oh no i need to create the money it's like actually that is doing more harm yeah don't don't flow it I mean, you don't, it doesn't matter how much money you have. The question is, are you part of a system in flow where good things are coming in and good things are coming out? Are you creating enough good in the world? Are you, are you, well, it's like, it's, if I can borrow something from physics, if you want to get something to flow into a space, you need to pump stuff out of it. You know, if you turn on the faucet, more water flows into the faucet, but you've got to start the outflow. And it, if, if I may, if I may risk a slightly crude comparison, a lot of this is reminiscent of sort of a quest for constipation. I want to eat and eat and eat and not excrete anything. This is not a good idea. The the thing that the thing that needs to be avoided here is the kind of attitude that says, well, it doesn't matter that I'm amassing all this wealth because, like, I, I'm making a few people feel good somewhere. Because of a lot of what goes on in the in the more questionable end of modern spirituality is an attempt to justify the frankly absurdly extravagant lifestyles we live nowadays. The saints and sages of the past did not need stretch limos. They didn't want them. <laughs> and when when we get fo- when we get fixated on having the newest car and having the fashionable clothes and having the huge McMansion, uh, bigger than palaces for emperors a thousand years ago, by the way, um, when we concentrate on having so much stuff, so much consumer crud, that there's aren't the first civilization in human history to have an entire industry of storage facilities to stash all the stuff that we can't we don't even have room for in our tight in our gigantic houses. Something's going wrong here. And what that is is to focus on accumulation rather than flow. If we if we recognize that our happiness and our health comes from flow, not from accumulation, from our participation in networks of friends, neighbors, of community, society, not I've got mine, Jack. Then we can get past that bad habit, um, get rid of the storage lockers and actually have a life instead. Right. Okay, so you, I want to circle back to something you said earlier. You kind of slipped it in. You're the Archdruid of North America. Uh, well, no, and, no, 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 no. I, I, am, no. I, am the, I, am, I am the head of one of about a dozen large to mid-sized Druid orders in the United States. Okay. There's a lot of I, I'm I am not the Archdruid of North America and I, I have to correct people on that because they think I'm people get this idea I'm kind of a druid pope. We don't do popes in druidry. Okay, so the Archdruid there's more than one Archdruid. Okay, thank you. Oh yeah. Oh there's Archdruids all over the place. You said that you always go back to the Taoists. I'm curious uh, with your vast research that you've done uh, around different philosophies and spiritual traditions, what is it about the Taoists that interests you personally? Well, basically, I'm going to I'm going to give a little context for this. Druidry is not one of those traditions that claims to have a stranglehold on the whole truth. Okay, there are some traditions with a "we have the truth" um, 
you know, and you're not getting it unless you pass, um, or what have you. Druidry is a very open tradition when it comes to inspiration. And because the modern Druid movement had to be revived from fragments in the, in, back in the 18th century, we have only the, the, only the most tenuous links further back than that, we've generally been very good about grabbing stuff from any, any place that is inspiring, any place that works. Taoism, especially the old philosophical Taoists, is very, very much in, in tune with the kind of thing that we do now. Of course, there's lots of Taoists out there who are doing it too, but they have their own traditions. And I personally find Lao Tzu, Chuang Tzu, the two, the two early Taoist philosophers, like um, Henry David Thoreau, for example, or Aldo Leopold. There, there's a variety of writers that I, that I tend to turn to as a source of inspiration and insight. And it so happens that um, Lao Tzu is, is among my very favorites, as much simply because of the quality of his writing and the quality of his thought as anything else. Mm-hmm. And so if... Uh somebody was going to pick up the seminal works of Lao Tzu and start reading about Taoism. Sometimes I find that it's easier to read works that are once removed, almost like somebody interpreting it for you. So should people who are just new to Taoism pick up uh, uh, his works or another, is there another teacher or someone else that has sort of interpreted him for the modern mind? I don't know of anybody that that I'd be really be I'd really be satisfied in terms of an interpreter of Lao Tzu. He, the thing is, his his one he that we know of, he wrote one book, it's very short, the Tao Te Ching, and it's deceptively simple, and it's the kind of thing that you read and think about and read and think about. You can spend your whole life getting deeper and deeper into it. Um, I, I'd I'd send him to the to the original thing. Now I would also like to talk about. Uh the fourth law in your wonderful book, Mystery Teachings from the Living Earth. And this is the law of limits. This is the second one that I find a lot of people have challenges with. Everybody Uh, bristles with the law of limits. Okay, so I'll read it. Everything that exists is subject to limits arising from its own nature, the nature of the whole system of which it is a part, and the nature of existence itself. Those limits are as necessary as they are inescapable, and they provide the foundation for all the beauty and power each existing thing is capable of manifesting. Now, again, sounds very reasonable, but then applying it into our own lives. Yeah, our entire culture is bigoted against the concept of limits. Now, if you sit down on a chair, you better hope the chair is going to limit your capacity to fall to the floor. Okay, you better hope the floor is going to limit your capacity to move along with the force of gravity toward the center of the earth. The fact that you can stand up is because the bones are limiting the flexibility of your body. I could go on. Every, every action, every action on every plane is the interaction of an energy and a limit. And if you, you can't have one without the other. But we, we, we tend to get stuck. Now, partly, of course, this is because um, in an earlier phase in our culture, we had a lot of really arbitrary and, frankly, rather silly limits placed on certain aspects of personal behavior. Um, think of Victorian sexual mores. Okay. Think of generally the idea that was so heavily preached in the 19th century that, you know, you have your station in life, which is assigned to you by God. And um, it, is, it is a sin to think of doing anything other than what you've been told to do by your social superiors. 
and of course that was that was as that was as stupid as it was um you know an obvious method of social control didn't you know it was purely for the benefit of the of those social superiors and people realized that but we've gotten we've in the usual fashion having gone from an extremely rigid extremely limit fixated society we've swung to the opposite extreme where people insist there are no limits whatsoever and that try that that understanding limits is a bad thing somehow and unfortunately this is one of the reasons why we're causing such hideous disruptions to the biosphere because we don't understand this is a finite planet it's only got so many natural resources it can only take so much pollution before things start breaking down Okay, so you say that the art of manifestation is in fact the art of limitation. So let's say we all understand that, yeah, we're, we're, we're thieving from the biosphere at this point and we're not in flow and all of that, but what do you mean when you say then that the art of manifestation is really about the art of limitation? Oh, that, that's, that's really simple. That's, a ba- that, that's one of the basic um, concepts of well, almost any kind of, of practical spiritual activity. You need to, you can have anything in the world that you want as long as you want that, nothing else. If you turn all your energies on one goal, you'll achieve it. Mm-hmm. That's limitation. You're setting, you're bracketing everything else. I'm going to deal with that later. Right now, I want to achieve this. Um, it, uh, for a, um, if you will, a physical example, um, if you just have a, a you know a puddle of gasoline, you throw a match, you get fire. Okay, mm-hmm. you put that same gasoline into an automobile engine, it can send you zipping down the road. Why? Because all that power, the power that would just be expended by flames, has to is inside a steel cylinder. It's pushing a steel piston. There's only one thing the energy can do, and that's move the car. So you've limited it. Create motion in a given direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you say nothing Anything, can enter. Nothing can sorry, enter. Go ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, no, basically, you can, you can't achieve. You you actually can't do two things at once. Everybody tries to, and that's why they don't. That's that's what stands. That's most often what stands in their way of accomplishing anything in life. They're trying to have several. They're trying to accomplish several things at the same time, so they never accomplish anything. If you stop and said and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do it with my whole mind, my whole heart, my whole spirit. You'd be amazed how easily you accomplish things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you have a, a quote in the book that, where you say, nothing can enter into manifestation except by becoming finite and thus embracing limits. So when a, peop- when a person has a vision, okay, I want to make this project or I want to write this book, it sounds like what you're saying is it's all very simple. Just do basically nothing else and physically bring that, like do the work to make that happen. Yeah, do, do the work. But also you're writing a book, a specific book with specific words, not sort of a general vague abstract idea of a book. As a writer, I'm, I'm used to the incredibly finite process of, okay, this word has to go here. No other word will do. This is the thought I'm trying to communicate, or this is the story I'm trying to tell. No other story. It's all about limitation. Mm-hmm. Narrowing it down to the point that you know what you're trying to say mm-hmm. is about casting off all the other things that you're not trying to say. It's mm-hmm. about focusing on limits, about getting, bringing it down to manifestation. When you have that book, when your book's finished, okay, it's a very finite, limited object. It weighs, you know, a pound. It has paper covers. It has a boundary. 
it's as finite as it can get because that's what manifestation is. Mm-hmm. And if we flee from limits, we flee from manifestation. Mm, nice. <laughs> well said. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm pretty sure no one else ever has ever asked you. I've looked and I haven't. Okay. I've, I've okay. Tried. Uh, I'm, look, so, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> here's the context. So I work with uh, mostly, you know, middle-aged or older women who are just discovering their uh, yearning for spirituality. It's been, you know, put on hold with family and, and etc. And, um, you actually mention in a recent post on the Well of Galabees, your uh, your blog about uh, druidry and magic and philosophy, uh, you tell the story of being in a class where the teaching assistant was explaining why people want religion, basically, why, why humans create religions. And he had all of these different sort of social and economic, all these different reasons for socially organizing with religion. And you said afterwards, well, could it also not be that people are having numinous experiences or, or sort of spiritual openings and this is sort of the next logical step is to organize around that so you can share that. What I've found with my clients is that many women are afraid to out themselves as spiritually curious or having this yearning mainly because they're afraid of being mocked by their partner or you know there's a there's social scorn associated with spirituality uh, or or even that they'll be dismissed or kind of just outright not understood or perhaps even that it's a betrayal and i imagine you've experienced the social scorn that comes from being a man who is spiritually uh you know out in the world what would you say to those women who want to share with their their partners that they have a spiritual yearning and and you know maybe that's been a long marriage but it's like hey i got something to spring on you <laughs> i've had spiritual experiences and i've never told you about them um, because of course they're afraid of being challenged on something intellectually that really isn't an intellectual endeavor so i put that to you as an honest question what would you tell them or how how would you address that but the thing is that there is no there is no simple answer to that because it happens. I mean, it depends on the person. It depends on the other person in the relationship. It depends on the nature of the relationship that's developed and on the nature of the spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fear, the the reality of mockery, of um, dismissal, of contempt from people who've been raised in our profoundly anti-religious, anti-spiritual society. It's a real thing. And it really does, uh, I would say, I mean, I I may be a student of magic. I'm not an expert on the human heart. And I don't know that there's there's any kind of simple, straightforward answer. I have seen, I've had friends whose marriages have blown sky high over exactly this issue. You know, one person ends up having a spiritual awakening, the other person remains fixed in um, one or another kind of hardcore materialism, and um, in some cases defending it by going all to the to the extreme of the sort of angry atheists who spend their time, you know, ragging on mm-hmm. um, anything religion, and it can it just spike can spiral down into disaster. So it really does depend on the people. Now, one thing I've noticed, actually, is that 
uh, and I don't know if this is because I'm female and I'm sort of aware of like my, my role as a woman in a spiritual context, but what I've frequently noticed is that actually women embody the mystery, right? Even since ancient times, it's like we could bleed every month and not die. We could make life come out of our bodies. You know, it's pretty mysterious thing. So we embody this certain kind of mystical spiritual power. And my sense and what I sort of say to my clients is that, you know, we we are the conveyors of consciousness in that kind of context. You know, we are a form of um, uh, the mystery incarnate. And that's kind of part of our job is to welcome the masculine into the mystery. And so frequently as the woman, uh, and I don't like to talk about men do this and women do that. That's just not really my thing to gender the spirituality. However, there's just these physiological um, metaphors, we could say that, you know, women do birth new life and can do that for our partners. And I think for our communities, I'm, I'm curious if you've ever looked at it that way. I, I am also, I also tend to be very uncomfortable with the men do this, women do that. I've known um, enough men, for, you know, over and above the physiology, I've known men who had that giving out quality, and I've known women who were warriors. warriors. <laughs> who were warriors, and, and so on. So certainly I think if the women you work with are, um, tend, tend to be of the kind who are capable, of, who, who have that capacity to function as the gateway, as the initiatrix, it's a great thing. And they should be encouraged to do that, but don't try to just it. It needs to be handled very gently within the context of the actual relationship between actual people. It's hard to give any kind of abstract rule for that. Given that each of us carry within us both the yin and the yang, the masculine and feminine, I wonder if another way of um, putting it to a woman is that you, you have within you the capacity, should you choose to develop it, to be the initiatrix uh, in the same way that a man who might be wary or feeling uncertain in the spiritual realm um, could also invoke his more yin or re receptive self. That that might be another way of sort of looking at it as, we, you know, this is an opportunity to delve into a deeper self, which is really what you say magic is, wouldn't you say? Well, that's one of the things that magic is. Magic is mm -hmm. a lot of things. Um, <laughs> the one problem you're going to have there is the, the, the extent to which the, the men have been taught distrust and despise the feminine aspect of themselves. And getting, mm -hmm. getting them past mm -hmm. that can be a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is true. And we'll, we'll have to save that for another show. But for, for today, I'd like to ask you another question that I've never heard you asked. And I'm curious personally. So, John, what do you consider perfect happiness? The times when I have been happiest in life have been the times when everything flows. When things flow in, things flow out. There's no accumulation. There's no blockage. Everything just sort of flows smoothly ahead or, or, or complexly ahead. That's when I'm happiness. Not when I'm clinging to something. Not when I'm trying to make the world behave according to my notions. But uh, participation in the flow. This may or may not go down as one of your favorite episodes, but it is definitely one of mine. I've been uh, pretty nervous about 
contacting John to have a conversation with him because I've read his books multiple times over and I assign Mystery Teachings of the Living Earth as required reading before my retreats. So that was really a very satisfying conversation for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank John Michael Greer for coming on my show and thank you so much for listening. I'd like to say hello and thank you to the people in Slovenia who are downloading every week. You are absolutely uh, lighting me up with glee whenever I see that. So thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A, and click the link for the podcast to get today's show notes and the links to John's two uh, blogs, the Archdruid Report and the Well of Galabees. While you're there, sign up for my newsletter. You'll instantly receive a free meditation download, and you'll never miss a show because you'll get an update every time I publish. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.